morning we are in Joshua 19. And um, so we've been tracking through. Last week we got up to like verse 23. And um, what's happening now are the rest of the allotments of land are being given out by Joshua, uh, the elders, and the priests. So they are doing it according to the way that the Lord told them to do it. Um, we've talked about some of, some of the ways that they're doing it. And then uh, why they're doing it now, um, if you remember, uh, some of the land had already been allocated, like to Benjamin, to Judah. And then all of a sudden, Joshua says, um, guys, you have to come forward if you want your land. Like, you know, it's not, it's not going to happen by itself. The Lord has told you to come get your land. You're supposed to come to us because it seemed like everybody was delaying. And, and we talked about sometimes... We hear the Lord's promise in our lives, and we delay in coming forward to take it on, you know? Um, I've heard lots of people uh, say that the Lord has a promise on their life. The Lord spoke a word to them, and, um, you know, they're sitting on the side of the road homeless and drunk. And you're just like, so what happened? Oh, well, this happened, and that got in the way, and then this got in the way, and then I didn't believe it anymore, and, and I'm like... I think maybe you failed to grasp the Lord's promise. And they may say, guys, I understand. I've had hard things happen in my life. I understand. This happened and that happened. But I'm going to tell you this. It does not matter what happens in your life. God's promises stand true and walk through those happenings in our lives. You know, like you may not believe that. You may think, you know, Pastor Dave's up there full of junk whatever, he's talking a bunch of junk. He's never had a hard thing happen in his life. That's why he's a pastor. And I've had some of you guys say that to me. And I'm just like, I am laughing on the inside, thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, you know, somebody, somebody um, was like, uh, you know, you've always had good things. You've always followed God and you know Jesus, and you've never made bad decisions, and you've never had hard things in your life, that's why you can be a pastor. And I'm just like, do you even know my life? And they're like, no, not really, but that's how it is for every pastor. And I'm just thinking, okay. That's um, it's a really shallow way to look at people. Um, you know, was this before or after I lost my home? <laughs> before or after I, uh, I didn't have anything and all my things were taken away? You know, um, was this before or after uh, I, I had a dad that was not, uh, quote unquote, dad of the year, um, any of the years he's been alive. And as far as I know, he's still alive. And I don't think he's won that award yet. So, um, you know, guys, we live life. Things happen to all of us. God's promises stand true. And he says they stand true. And he says nothing can stop it. The only thing that stops it from happening is me quenching it and saying, no, nah, I don't believe it. I'm not going. Lord, I don't believe your word. I'm not going to follow after you. And I'll tell you what, the Lord makes his word. He is faithful even when we are faithless. He is faithful. And he's faithful to us even when we choose the wrong things. Why can I say that? Because I have chosen badly at times and the Lord has still been faithful to me and kind. He is good beyond everything that can happen to us, everything that we do. He is good, 
and he continues to call us. And, you know, I can, I can continue to refuse. He's given me that free choice. I can continue to walk my own way. But, you know, it was kind of like that. And Joshua had to encourage them, hey, you need to come forward to get your portion of land. And then when you get your portion of land, it's not like, oh, look, it's all figured out. You know, like he told uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they came and complained about their portion. They said, the people are too strong for us. And Joshua said, well, <laughs> get stronger. Go get your land. It's yours. Sometimes we might sit here and say, oh, well, the sin that's in me is too strong. I've tried. And, you know, I hear the echo of Joshua through Jesus, and he says, listen, I didn't give you a life to have no problems. I made you to be more than a conqueror. So go get to that opposition with my strength, with the strength of the Holy Spirit, and go get your land. Go get what the Lord has given you. Go get what the Lord has given you. And it may mean that every single day you get up and you battle whatever problem you have in your life. But the Lord gives you the strength to get up and continue to battle. And I say this a lot of times, like when um, you guys, something that encourages me is this. In scripture, we're told that seven times a righteous person stumbles, but seven times he rises again. Everybody stumbles, but what separates the righteous person from everybody else is they get back up and they keep walking with the Lord. They say, Lord, forgive me. I repent of what I've done. I want to walk with you. And you may fall later that afternoon <laughs> and you can still come to Jesus and say, forgive me. I don't want to walk in this path. I want to walk with you. And he's faithful to forgive us. He knows the motives of our hearts. He knows us, and he knows that we battle. We have a high priest, we're told in Hebrews, that understands he lived a life like us, yet he lived it sinless. So he understands. He understands the temptations. He understands what's out there. I mean, you know, we even know that after he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him, the Holy Spirit led him out into testing ground into the desert to be tempted by the devil himself and the devil you know tempted him in portions that you know would tempt all of us man you know if the, you know if i'm fasting for 40 days and 40 nights i mean i'm gonna have a lot of trouble if the devil brings me a steak you know jesus he had way bigger temptations like the devil's like yo you want this steak i'm like all right you got me bro you got me man <laughs> I'm going to eat the steak, you know? I'm just telling you, Jesus is a lot stronger than I am, all right? The Lord is good to us, and he props us up. We can lean on him. He gives us the Holy Spirit to strengthen us to continue on. We don't have to keep on failing. We are not bound by our sin anymore. We are not captives anymore. Now, that sin may come to get you, but you actually have the power through Jesus Christ to say no to that sin. You know, we might, oh, you know, I keep failing. You actually have the power through the Holy Spirit to say, nope, not today. I'm not bound. I'm not a slave anymore. I belong to Christ. So um, then we get to these allotments, and we were talking about how um, it's kind of funny 
that in Genesis 49, Jacob prophesied through the Lord, the Lord prophesied through Jacob, I mean, and told them what would happen in the future. So Jacob speaks these prophecies over some of his people, so some, some of his sons, or all of his sons, actually. And he says to, uh, to Levi and Simeon, um, you, guys are, you guys are naughty. You guys are bad guys. And I told you the story. They went and killed a whole town uh, you know, to get revenge for the, the prince of that town raping their sister. And um, instead of looking for another way to kind of, um, I don't know, make things right, they just thought the better way was to trick the whole town and to go kill them in cold blood, right? <laughs> so, you know, um, and then the rest of the brothers weren't any better when they saw what the two brothers did. And they, I, I told you last week, it, it actually says in the text, the brothers went in, saw what Levi and Simeon did, and then they went through and pickpocketed everybody. <laughs> you know, they just walked through the dead people and you oh, that's, oh, look at this wallet, man. This is Gucci. All right, cool. You know, and they, they walked through and they took everything. They plundered it all, you know, and they came back and Jacob's like, what have you guys done? You've made us a stench to these people. Now we have to move. And they had to kind of get up and go. They had to go. So um, Jacob remembered them and he told them, listen, when, when the portions of land come, you're not going to have a portion, Right. So we know that the Lord turned it for good to them, right? And, and that's, that's awesome. Like, what I find is even when I mess up in my consequences, the Lord does exactly what he says he's going to do in Romans 8.28. And he's going to, if I'm following after him and I'm his kid and I want to glorify him, even the things I've done in the past, he turns them for good. He uses them to help me to glorify his name, right? And sometimes we equate that to, oh, I'm glad I made that mistake. And it's like, no, no, you're glad that God can change your mistakes for good, that he can use them. You know, even in the sense of, even when I've messed up in the past, the Lord has been able to comfort me about those mess ups. And then I'm able to share that comfort with others as the New Testament tells us, right? To say, hey, don't put your head down. It's okay. The Lord forgives, you know? So Jacob prophesies. And then finally we got to, um, you know, verse uh, 16 about the land of Zebulun and the land of Issachar. And, um, you know, we saw that uh, these guys would have you know, they, they weren't huge players in lots of things happening in Israel, but they were part of what was going on. And then what we're going to see is um, in the land of Asher, so if you pick up with me in verse 24, so the fifth allotment of the land went to the clans of the tribe of Asher. Now, if you look through the Bible, you're not going to find a lot about Asher in that sense. Like Asher didn't... Um, uh, Asher didn't produce the Messiah like uh, Judah did, um, but Asher kind of shines out in, in one instance. Now, this is like the prophecy that was given to Asher, and it's only about a sentence long, maybe two sentences, and it's uh, Genesis 49, verse 20, and it says, Asher will dine on rich foods and produce food fit for kings. Okay, that's it. 
that's that's I mean, you look at Judah, Judah at least had like 10, 10, 15 sentences, you know, about the prophecy to him. And then all of a sudden you're Asher and you're like, yeah, man, here, I mean, it maybe it might go bad for me or whatever. And the Lord, and you know, the Lord speaks through Jacob and, and all you get is you're going to eat good and you're going to produce good food. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I'd be okay. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, I love eating. So, um, then we see that Asher is kind of quiet. We don't, we don't see lots of uh, characters come out of Asher, but we will. We'll look at one that comes out. Um, its boundary, verse 25, included these towns. Helkath, Heli, Betan, Ashef, Alamelech, Arnad, and Mishael. The boundary on the west touched Carmel and Shuhar Libnath. Then it turned east toward Beth Dagon and ran as far as Zebulun in the valley of Iphtha-el, going north to Beth Emek and Niel. It then continued north to Gabul, Abdon, Rahab, Hamath, Cana, and as far as Greater Sidon. Then the boundary turned toward Ramah and the fortress of Tyre, where it turned toward Hosa and came to the Mediterranean Sea. The territory also included Mehebel, Akzib, Uma, Afek, and Rahab. 22 towns with their surrounding villages. The homeland allocated to the clans of the tribe of Asher included these towns and their surrounding villages. So like I said before, Asher was a bit quiet. And when you're a chef, usually you are quiet. <laughs> you know, you're just in the kitchen. Um, but something that Asher did produce was the prophetess Anna. We are told she is, and, and you may not know who the prophetess Anna is. The prophetess Anna, uh, you'll find her story in, I think it's uh, John, John 2 or Luke 2, something like that. I was looking at so many scriptures. It is Luke 2, verse 36. It's, it's in you know, 36 through 38 or something like that. It's only a couple of sentences about Anna. But Anna uh, was a widow. She was living in the temple, or she came to be in the temple day and night, it said, and she just worshiped the Lord day and night. And some scholars, like the, the way that the translation says, it says she was about somewhere around 83 years old. Some scholars believe that she had lived in the temple for 83 years, so it would make her more around 104 or something like that. But we know she was, she was old, right? And Anna was there. And then Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus in, and two prophets, one prophet and a prophetess, come up, and they see the baby Jesus... There are no signs, there's no fanfare, there's nothing going on. They see him, and the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, this is the Messiah. Simeon goes up, he's holding the baby, he worships the Lord because the Lord told him he would see the Messiah before he died, right? Then Anna goes up, and Anna praises the Lord because she says, this child is the chosen one of Israel, right? So, Something that's kind of cool is even in that prophecy, 
And this is, this is kind of a, a, a far reach, but even in that prophecy, we see that it says, Asher will dine on rich foods and produce food fit for kings. If Anna was a prophetess, and prophet in the simplest form means speaking the words of God, okay? And I'm going to tell you something. To speak the words of God, you have to be able to ingest the word of God. All right? If, if you are somebody that is going to consistently speak the words of God, you have to actually dine on the word of God. So Asher actually, you know, a, a prophetess just doesn't pop out of nowhere with no teaching, no parents, no, nothing biblical in there. Um, there had to be faithful people before Anna teaching her God's word and teaching her the way for her to hear God's voice and to follow after it. You, you know, I think of Samuel. Samuel was born at a young age, and, and there's lots of things around Samuel's life that are, that are God-provided and God-done, right? But Samuel lived in the temple, and he heard God's audible voice. And from that time on, he always heard God's voice. God would speak to him, right? And, and I just find that awesome, right? Because we're told in Scripture in, in Hebrews that some of the prophets, uh, Elijah, it says he was a man just like us. He had the same struggles we had. And you think about all he had was his trust and faith in God Almighty that he would not let go of. Oh, he had troubles. Sometimes his faith faltered. I mean, enough to run away into the desert. Have you ever felt like that? Like you're living this life for the Lord and you're just like, I got to run away. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I just, I just need, I need to go, right? Elijah felt the same way. It was on his back, and the Lord spoke to him. And we're told that Elijah was a person, a human person, just like you and I. And I think of the time where he was praying, he had, the Lord had spoken to him, and he told Ahab, and he said, Ahab, there isn't going to be any more rain in the land. That's it, drought time. Imagine being the guy responsible for that the one that spoke that into existence. Everybody's struggling, and you were the guy that bought, brought the bad news. Imagine that. You're walking by, and everybody, isn't that Elijah? Isn't he the one that proclaimed the, the, uh, the drought? Isn't that why? Aren't you why we're all dying? <laughs> and just being like, I was just speaking God's words. That's all I was doing. And then imagine three years later, sitting on top of a hill with your cloak over your head, praying that the rain would come back <laughs> and not even looking up, right? Our prayer life is like this. Our prayer life is like this. God, can you do this for me? And then somebody gives word that it didn't happen. And we say, I knew it. I knew it wouldn't happen. It's too good to be true, you know? And then we start doing the old, uh, you know, why, why would God be good to me anyway? 
I'm a messed up vessel anyway. You know, and we make our excuses of why God wasn't good. Elijah trusted enough to hear the bad news and to keep praying. And it says his servant went back and forth like three, four times. Is there anything yet? And he runs over and he says, nothing. I'll keep praying. Is there anything yet? He runs over. Nothing. Right? And if you guys know this story, finally he goes, is there anything yet? Because he kept praying. Is there anything yet? He goes, yeah, I see something in the sky. It's about the size of a man's fist. (laughs) And Elijah knew, that's all I need. Then he ran to Ahab and he said, the rain's coming. You better hurry home before you get flooded, boy. Right? I mean, he was a normal guy. But he was persistent in prayer. And I've told you guys this before. And I've said this multiple times because I find it in my own life. Jesus taught us not to grow our faith because our faith comes from the Lord. It's a gift from him, right? And then his disciples said to him, Lord, grow our faith. And then later Jesus talks about to them, not about growing their faith, faith, but having persistent mustard seed faith. Like you have just a little mustard seed, but you keep throwing it to heaven. (laughs) You got this little prayer, but you're persistent with it. And he tells them the story of that widow that was persistent with a judge that had no fear of man and no fear of God. But she just kept coming to that judge and saying, you need to give me justice. You need to give me justice. And what did the judge finally say? Listen, give the lady whatever she wants. She's killing me. And the Lord's like, I'm a good judge. I actually love you. How much more will I give to you if you continue to knock? If you continue to ask? And then James tells us that sometimes we don't get what we want because we ask amiss. We're not asking in his will. We're not asking him to conform us to be like him. Like I know our prayer requests, like... You know, it's cool. I'm not, you know, going to shame you guys because I've I've been there. Lord, help me win the lottery. You know, like, Lord, man, a Ferrari would be good too. And I was talking to somebody the other day. They had like this high profile job. And I said, um, they said, oh, I, I, you know, Claire and I were talking to them. And they said, you know, I left. It was, it was like killing my, my soul, right? This high profile corporate job. And it was just killing me. So the person quit last week, quit their job. And it was just killing them. And I said, well, you know, like we find true joy following after the Lord. And they're Christian. And they said, I agree. And then they said, it's not that you're not happy when you have lots of money. And I said, it's true. You know, crying is much better in a Lamborghini. Right? But there is... When you, when you stop for a second, and, and I've been with certain people that have this, right? They, they have Lamborghinis, they have Ferraris, they have whatever. Those things do not satisfy. There is still a longing in their heart. There's got to be something else. And can I tell you something? We know what that something else is, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's that something else. 
God's not here to take away your money. If you have a great job, praise the Lord. He provided it. If you, you feel you have to change jobs, seek the Lord. He'll provide. But we know that uh, money doesn't actually buy happiness. It could buy drugs, but that's still not happiness. It could buy every type of distraction, but that's not happiness. That's not joy. And something more that the Lord gives us than happiness is this, and, and I just mentioned it. It's called joy in him, right? Even when bad things are going on, we know that God is with us and that he, even if he set us in that place, he's in charge. He's doing it. He's, he's making sure that he's working it all together and we can rest in him, right? He gives us joy, the ability to smile even in the midst of the storm. And, um, you know, like as we, as we see this, as we see Anna as somebody that God spoke to, we can be sure of that she was there at the temple ingesting God's beautiful buffet of spiritual food. So Asher was dining on choice food. And we see through Anna, she, he, they were dining on choice spiritual food. And Anna speaking God's words is the same way when we speak God's words, we are handing out beautiful spiritual food, right? It's our job on Sunday morning, on Wednesday evenings, on Fridays to be handing out a beautiful spiritual buffet, even if it's Pastor Juan doing a three-minute devotional, you know? He just gave you a quick snack, but it's wholesome. It's not one of these, like, you know, I'm not going to say a brand because I don't want to, uh, you know, get sued. But it's like, it's not like one of these, you know, like when we eat too much junk food and you're like, oh, I'm tired and I'm fat. And, you know, well, <laughs> got to eat wholesome, <laughs> you know. God's word is wholesome. It's good for everything. It builds us up. So when we speak God's word, which is what prophecy means, we're giving words that are more nourishing than bread. Men cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's more than nourishing than bread straight from the king. It's bread fit for a king. Right? And that's what Jesus is. He's the bread of life. So we must feast on God's word before we can truly speak God's word. So then, next, the land is given to Naphtali. The six allotment of land went to the clans of the tribe of Naphtali. Its boundaries ran from Helef, from the oak at Zinanim, and extended across to Admi Nekeb, Nebneel, and as far as Lakam, ending at the Jordan River. The western boundary ran past Asnoth Tabor, then to Hukok, and touched the border of Zebulun in the south, the border of Asher on the west, and the Jordan River on the east. The fortified towns included in this territory were Zidim, Zer, Hamath, Rakath, 
Kinnereth, Adama, Rama, Hazor, Kadesh, Edri, and Hazor, Yiron, Migdel El, Horam, Beth Ananeth, and Beth Shemesh. 19 towns with their surrounding villages. The homeland allocated to the clans of the tribe of Naphtali included these towns and their surrounding villages. And, and the prophecy for Naphtali was, um, Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns, right? So their offspring would be beautiful. But a prophecy that I think is way more important is found in the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah would come around after all of these uh, clans and tribes would have their allocated land. He came way, way later. And Isaiah in verse, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, I'm, uh, if we could get that up real quick, I'll read it from the screen. So Isaiah, Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2, and it reads this, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but... There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Okay, so some of the things that happened to Zebulun and Naphtali was they were, they were kind of north and Guess what sea they had in the middle of them? Sea of Galilee, right there in the smack in their land, right there. And um, over the years, they would be invaded constantly. And lots of Gentiles would put their roots there and stay there in that land. That's why it was called um, Galilee of the Gentiles, right? Because it was in Israel, but it was in this portion that was constantly taken over, fought with war, and they were a beat down people, right? But then Isaiah gives us a prophecy that we know comes true and came true with Jesus. Where did Jesus come from and where did he hang out all the time? By the Sea of Galilee, right? Among Gentile people at times, right? And um, it was referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles. They were attacked often from the north, and many Gentiles resided there. And Isaiah prophesied that their land would see a great light. And this is where Jesus, the light, based his ministry. So I find, you know what's so cool? If you're beat down, you're beat up, guess where Jesus wants to hang out? with you. Remember what he said, it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. And as I've been doing ministry, um, kind of full-time since I was about 17, you know, so now I'm, what, 21? Um, so it's been a couple of years. Um, since I was 17, right, this is what I found. It is easier to share the gospel with beat down people because they know they have a need. My brothers and I have been in very wealthy neighborhoods, you know, in places called the Hamptons 
where uh, in Long Island, where people got mansions, man. They got mansions. And you're there sharing the gospel with them, and they're like, I don't, I don't need anything. And these are their kids. And you're just like, you don't, you're right. You're blinded by your riches. You're distracted with all your devices that have become vices, right? It's hard for rich people to actually know their need. We, we kind of see the, um, the effects of this in Revelation when the Lord talks to one, his, one of his wealthy churches and he says, you think you're rich, but you're blind, you're poor, and you're naked. And you just don't know it. Right? It's like that old story, uh, the emperor's new clothes or whatever. Not his new groove. That's a different one. Like his, the new clothes, right? It's called the emperor's new clothes. And my man was so proud and so rich that he, he walked, or he rode his horse through town butt naked. <laughs> I'd be embarrassed, man. You just at the thought. Dave, you want to go outside butt naked? No, thank you. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> you know? I don't know. Some of you guys might be into that. Not me. <laughs> I like my clothes, right? Sometimes, as humans, we could be so rich in worldly things that we don't know our true need. Right? And Jesus comes alongside of those Inside of, uh, alongside of us that are broken, that have wounds, that feel those wounds. And sometimes the wounds aren't healed and they still rip open and they ooze. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is close. And he just needs you to turn to him and say, binds me up. Because I heard that you bind up the brokenhearted. Heal me. Because I heard that you're the healer of the hurting. Stay with me. Because I heard that you are the brother built for adversity. Right? He tells us over and over, Old Testament, New Testament, that he will walk with us through the shadow of death. That valley, the valley of the shadow of death. He will walk with us through the floods. He will walk with us through the fire. And then when we come out of the other side, it will seem as if we weren't burned. And, and you remember me telling you at the beginning, sometimes people don't think I've been through hard things, right? Because I'm a pastor. And it's also the effects that you can't smell the burn on me. Because Jesus didn't let me get burned. You don't see my clothes all drenched because he dried it off for me. It, he preserves us. He has preserving power. He has the ability to, to give back the years that the locusts have eaten. To bring it back to us. We may sit and say, I, I, I lost out. I missed it. And the Lord's like, no, you didn't. You're here with me right now. You haven't missed anything. Don't give in to that thinking that, oh, I missed it. I should have. 
No, what you should do is just walk with Jesus. He'll take care of everything else. Don't get upset about, oh, this could have been or that, ha you know, this could have happened. Who cares about that? You know what's happening now? You can walk with Jesus and eternity begins today. Because it's not like, oh, I walk with Jesus and then, you know, in a couple years when I'm good, he'll, he'll leave me on my own. No. He will continue to walk with you into eternity. Where we will be made perfect and we won't look back on our past and say, oh, I should have, would have, could have. But instead we'll say, you were with me. I trusted you because you were trustworthy. You are good. So Naphtali and Zebulun, you know, he, um, he based his ministry there. And if you are like them and you feel attacked, you feel kind of displaced, beat up, removed, Jesus wants to minister to you. Let him be your light. Let him be your savior. And those of us today that know him, this message is still for us. There are times where I just think, man, I can't even keep my head above water. And Jesus is like, why are you struggling? I can make you walk on water. Right? If we set our eyes on him, he will lift us up. You know, I just think, you know, a lot of times we look as, at Peter as a failure but at least Peter had the guts to try things, right? He sees Jesus walking on the water. He's the only guy that says, Jesus, if that's really you, I want to walk on water too, right? And then we fault him because all of a sudden he saw the waves around him and he started sinking. Man, at least he was out there. All the other disciples, they're all like, I knew Peter was going to die, you know? They're like, yeah, you go first, Peter. <laughs> and, you know, like, and he's out there and he shows us something that when our eyes are set on Christ, everything else fades away. All the troubles that we think we have, all the mountains or the giants that stand at the sides of us and threaten us, they seem to fade away as we are walking on that water with Jesus. And Jesus is like, Keep your eyes on me. Don't take them off. Don't listen to the threats. Keep your eyes on me and we'll walk together, right? And how good he was to Peter. He, the Lord Jesus came over to him, touched him, and he came back up, right? Sometimes I just need his touch. How about you? Sometimes I just need Jesus to bend down and pick me up. And here's, here's the thing that I love. He is willing, right? I know my need, right? I need you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, great, because I'm willing to help you. Great, because I'm here. He tells us, you know, Peter told us himself how fitting, right? He says, hey, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will lift you up. Casting all your cares upon him. Why? Because 
he's just an echo chamber or he doesn't listen because the, the heavens are as iron. No, because he cares for you. I love that section of verses. Why? Because I got lots of cares and I'm told where I can cast them to. Not just in this, here, take this care, take this care, but I can actually come to him in the agony that I feel and say, Lord, take this care from me because I know that you care, because I know that you're here, because I know that you are close to the brokenhearted. Even King David in the Old Testament understood these things. And he said, you know, like a, a broken and contrite spirit, you will not despise. When we come to him broken and contrite, King David knew the Lord loves humility. And he loves our trust and faith in him in just his words. And how I have to tell myself all the time, if the Lord spoke it, he is true. That's all I need to know. If the Lord spoke it, he is true to his word. He will bring it to pass. He will walk with us. He will take me through. He'll do just as he did to Jeremiah. He said to Jeremiah, I give you your life as a prize. Right? Why was that special to Jeremiah? Because everybody wanted to kill the man. <laughs> Plain as day. They threw him in the sewer, left him down there for days. They, I mean, they tried to beat him up. They tried to get rid of him. And the Lord told him, they're not going to take your life, Jeremiah. I give you your life as a prize. Jeremiah's like, it's good enough for me. I'll keep speaking your words. I'll keep speaking your words. One thing that's kind of cool is uh, uh, Kinnereth actually means like um, it was one of the towns. It means uh, harp. So it was shaped like a harp because uh, it was right next to the Sea of Galilee, which is shaped like a harp. So, you know, it was like harp town. <laughs> but it was, it was, they believe it was named that because it was right by the Sea of Galilee. And, um, you know, the Lord places everybody exactly where they need to be so that he can bless them. We may have other ideas. We may have wanted to do this or that, and we had other plans, and it may seem like our hopes get dashed, like, oh, oh, I'll never be able to live out my dream. But this is what I know about the Lord, that he loves you enough that if you follow after him, he gives you the desires of your heart, the things that you truly desired, right? And you may even get your desires wrong. You may interpret them incorrectly, you know. Um, and he knows what really satisfies you because he made you. And he is, I can look back at my life and say, you know what? Those words are true and I've seen it in experience. He is good. He is so good that if you bring your heart to humble itself and turn around and you look at the things the Lord has given you, you can actually be grateful and say, you knew my way. You gave me all of these things. You are so good to me. And it doesn't delete the needs that we have in our lives, but helps you to put it in perspective 
and to say, you were good to me in the past. You will be good to me in the future. You are good to me now. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have a good God that wants to walk with us. He wants to walk among us, just like Naphtali and Zebulun, their land that was beaten down, constantly conquered by Gentiles. They were constantly uprooted and moved around. And Jesus said, those are my people. I'm going to hang out with them. So if you feel beaten down, you feel a bit beat up, you feel like life hasn't really worked out for you, uh, situations, life has happened. Jesus wants to walk with you. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you and I praise you for your word and for your prophecy, Lord, that it is 100%. Lord, we thank you that we can share your word and your gospel, Lord. That, Lord, we can find peace in you. And, Lord, you begin to change us and change our lives. Lord, continue that work that we wouldn't quench it, that we wouldn't stop it, but that we would say, Master Surgeon, have your way. There's lots of things in me that need to be cut out. That you would do it, Lord. We need you, Jesus. And thank you for promising to walk with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.